Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. What a series this has been. Think back to last week where we were talking about parenting and the importance as parents for us to, to share with our children their, their God-given identity in Jesus Christ, God's purpose for their lives, and, and finally to, to confirm them in the love and value that God has for them and that we as their parents have for them. What a, what a job parenting is. And we tried to simplify it a little bit last week, but it's still a pretty complex task, isn't it? Before that, we talked about communication in our homes and how important it is for us to speak the truth in love to one another. And of course, that's so difficult. I, I think about that description of Jesus as being full of grace and full of truth. And how, in a, in a certain way, that's kind of the secret of life, isn't it? Going through life, being a very truth-filled person, and at the same time, being a love-filled person. Amazing. But in our communication, if we can be full of truth and love, that's a great way to go in our house. The very first week... And as I told you on that first week, it was strategic. We talked about forgiveness, didn't we? We talked about remodeling our closets and how important it is for us, A, to understand God's amazing forgiveness, that his grace always grows. No matter how big our sin gets, his grace is bigger. And that we can always look to him for forgiveness and know that his grace is big enough to cover all of our sins. And then we talked also about the importance of are reflecting that forgiveness in our lives and forgiving others, recognizing the horrible dangers of sin. And we talked about some of those dangers of sin in that first message and how sometimes it's not easy to forgive, but nevertheless, it's so important. This morning, as we talk about remodeling the bedroom, I want to go back to that first message as we start. I think in today's world, in today's culture, sexual sin is rampant. Some of the research that I did showed that there's really very little difference between what goes on in the world in regard to sexual sin and what goes on in the church in regard to sexual sin. Very little difference. That the church is really just a mirror image of what's going on in our world. And therefore, as I preach today, I'm pretty sure that I'm going to be saying some straightforward words that will go straight to the hearts of many people including my own. Because sexual sin really is everywhere in our world today. And so I want to start very simply by reminding you of that first message and of God's grace, of how important it is for us to recall as we dive into the sinful world and in our own sinful lives that there is a wonderful cross, that there is, a, there is an amazing grace that there is this Jesus, a man like us who was tempted in every way just as we are, and yet was without sin. True man, but also true God. The God-man whose sacrifice on the cross was enough to cover every sin. And I hope that thought will stick with you as, as we go through this message today. Because you have an amazing God. I mean, think about it. The God that you have is the God who, after all, created sex, isn't he? 
And a lot of times in our world, we don't put those two ideas together. We, we're tempted to sort of disconnect God from our sexual lives. And yet, right from Genesis chapter 1, it's, it's really clear that God was the one who created sex in the first place. In fact, the Bible is full of references to sex. Some of them very beautiful. Some of them not so beautiful or pretty. God was never afraid to bring up sex. And sometimes in the church, we kind of step back a little bit from bringing up sex. It's a, it's a difficult issue. Even today, you heard me say, I, I'm not sure how much you want your children to hear. And, and there is always that matter of, of making sure that ears are mature enough to, to absorb the material that's going to be presented to them, isn't there? Nevertheless, straight talk from God on any topic, I believe, demands straight talk from the church and the church's leaders. A poll not too long ago said that almost 50% of Christians wished their church talked more about this topic simply because it was something that they were facing every day in their lives. This temptation. And they felt that their church wasn't really addressing the issue. So this morning, we're diving in, and here we go. Let's take a look at Proverbs chapter 5. And this is poetry, but I think you'll get the gist of it. And again, even from the beginning... The language is pretty straightforward, just so you're warned. Proverbs chapter 5, beginning at verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Why be captivated, my son, by an adulteress? Why embrace the bosom of another man's wife? For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. I guess where I would love to start this morning as we address this text is just to notice how the writer of the Proverbs, Solomon, connects sexual life with God. Did you notice that? He's talking very openly about sex life. And, and then what's the last verse say? For a man's ways, all of his ways, including his bedroom ways, are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. You see, for the Holy Spirit and for the biblical authors, there were no compartments in people's lives where people said, you know, sex is over here, or I think as in the modern church, sex is out there in the parking lot, man. We don't talk about that in here. 
And sometimes for us, even as Christ followers, that's how we look at it, that sex is not something that the church deals with or that the word of God or the Bible or I don't want to think about sex and God together doesn't match up in our minds. But take a look at that Proverbs passage. You see, God is the creator of sex, as I said before, and he created it for beautiful purposes. And I want to I start there. I want to start with the beauty of sex. Because there's plenty to talk about when it comes to the evils of illicit sex. But let's start with the beauty of sex and why God created it. Think about it for a minute. God created sex, and if you want to put some of these down in the blanks in your, in your crosswalk notes, for many wonderful reasons. You know that sex helps create closeness and oneness? In the book of Genesis, God talks about how he wants the man and the woman to be fully united. In the, in the old King James Version, it says, cleave to one another, meaning bond so closely that you can't separate from each other. When we get into an intimate relationship, a sexual relationship with someone, we are cleaving to them. We are creating a bond of oneness and closeness that can't be denied. Sex helps continue our companionship. I take, I take companionship as being a step beyond even closeness and oneness. This is a commitment, a lifetime commitment. And, and God put sex into our lives to help us with that lifelong commitment of companionship. Amazingly, sex brings confidence and health to a person, even physical health. I, um, I went on the internet, and you know you have to be a little bit um, careful on the internet when you put sex into the search engine. I'm just telling you that, okay? But I figured WebMD would be relatively safe. Here's uh, 10 things that they call the 10 surprising health benefits of sex. Sex relieves stress. Sex boosts immunity. Sex burns calories. Now, who wouldn't want to be on that exercise program? Sex improves cardiovascular health. Sex boosts self-esteem. Confidence. Sex improves intimacy. Now, this is science. This is not even God's word, but they're saying the same things as God's word says. Sex reduces pain better than two aspirin and go home and rest in bed, apparently. Sex reduces prostate cancer risk. Guys, you got to hear that one. Sex strengthens pelvic floor muscles, and sex helps you to sleep better. WebMD. Okay, so God is the creator of this thing that can be an amazing blessing to us. Spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And I think we need to just start today by, by realizing that God the creator created sex to be an amazing help and a benefit to us in our lives. Now, here's the problem. In our society today, 
Sex has become an end in itself. And it has become disconnected from the true end of all blessings. You see, why does God bless us with anything? And you, you can think of any blessing you want. You can think about the blessing of, of food, for example. Food is not there just for its own sake. It has a greater purpose also, like sex, to create health in our bodies. But sometimes people disconnect sex from God and they forget that sex is not an end in itself. And in fact, sex becomes a way to serve myself, becomes selfish. In fact, in my opinion, it becomes a form of idolatry comes a false god. And as we pursue this false god, because sex is now something selfish and it's an end to itself, we've disconnected it from God, we begin to move spiritually away from God. And this is the, the danger of sex. Sex purely for its own purpose's sake is nothing more than God. And it is making myself God. You know, don't you, that that's pervasive in our culture, right? Let me quote a few statistics in my very careful research. The U.S. Customs Service estimates that there are more than 100,000 websites offering child pornography worldwide. 100,000 websites worldwide. That's the U.S. Customs Service. Hollywood currently releases 11,000 adult movies per year, more than 20 times mainstream movie production. More than 20 times. 42% of songs on 10 top-selling CDs in the late 90s contained sexual content. That's the late 90s. What about today? 41% of those lyrics were very explicit or pretty explicit. As of February 2006, check this one out. 87% of university students are having sex via a webcam, an instant messenger service, or the telephone. 87%. In May 2004, Business Week printed the results of Comcore Network survey where 44% of workers with an internet connection admitted to accessing an X-rated website at work. 44%, almost half. 70% of Christians admitted to struggling with porn in their daily lives. That's uh, reported by CNN. All of these are coming from reputable sources. I won't necessarily mention them to you. Not only is it pervasive, it's expensive. Listen to this. At $13.3 billion, the 2006 revenues of the sex and porn industry in the U.S. are bigger than the NFL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. Worldwide sex industry sales for 2006 are reported to be $97 billion. To put this in perspective for you, make it very concrete, Microsoft, who sells the operating system used on most of the computers in the world, their, their reported sales were $44.8 billion, less than half of the porn industry. Okay? Last year, Comcast, the nation's largest cable company, pulled in $50 million from adult programming 
All the nation's top cable operators from Time Warner to Cablevision distribute sexually explicit material to their subscribers, but you won't read about it in their annual reports. They don't break the number out, but I would guess that's probably a couple hundred million, maybe as much as 500 million off of adult entertainment made in just one of those services, the one called DirecTV. Hilton, Marriott, Hyatt, Sheraton, and Holiday Inn all offer adult films on in-room pay-per-view television systems, and they are purchased by a whopping 50% of their guests. The hotel managers say, we have to have it, the guests demand it. So this is, this is our culture. This is what you and I are relating to every day. And someone might say, well, okay, so what? But clearly it's destructive, and not only does God say so, the research says so. I'll read you just a couple more statistics, and then we'll put it down. 42% of surveyed adults indicated that their partner's use of pornography made them feel insecure. Remember how we said sex was created by God to make us feel more confident? 42% of those surveyed said their spouse's use of pornography makes them feel less secure, less confident. 41% of surveyed adults admitted they felt less attractive due to their partner's pornography use. And finally, in a survey of over 500 Christian men at a men's retreat, 500 men, men's retreat, over 90% admitted that they were feeling disconnected from God. Spiritual results, too. Disconnected from God because lust, porn, or fantasy had gained a foothold in their lives. So here's my, here's my very first point that I want to make to you. And that is just to go back to what this says in the book of Proverbs so very clearly to us. For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. What Solomon simply wants us to remember is God is the creator of this beautiful blessing of sex. Keep that connected to him in your hearts and in your minds. Remember, let's, let's look. And I, I put this passage, just in case you have any doubt that God is the creator of sex, I put Genesis 1, 27 and 28 in your crosswalk notes for you. Look what it says. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. That's it right there, guys. That's God saying, I'm creating sex, and I want you to have sex. By the way, this is before the fall. This is before God looks around and says, everything that I've created is good. Okay, so... It's when God stands and says, this is all good, that he includes in that also a sex life. That was good, too, before sin came into the world. In God's eyes, spiritually good. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it, reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So, point number one. God wants you and me to connect the dots between our sex life 
and its creator. And then, when we do that, what an amazing blessing our sex lives can become to us. Because then we're open to the idea that God, the creator of a sex life, also may have direction for our sex lives. Direction intended to funnel us in a way that will bless us in our lives. Just as he does in so many other ways. I want you to go back in your mind and think about those blessings again. You remember what we mentioned? Closeness, oneness, companionship, confidence, physical health even. And I didn't mention the most obvious one mentioned in Genesis chapter 1 yet, did I? Children. The beautiful blessing of a beautiful baby. Those are amazing gifts from God that we can all experience as long as we're willing to connect the dots between our sex lives and its creator and then say to God, okay, God, you've given me this amazing blessing. Now guide me. How can I use this blessing so that I I can be blessed by it? Take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 13, verses 18 to 20. I, I put these in your crosswalk notes. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You know what that's really saying? That there's still yet one more purpose for our sex life. A very spiritual purpose. That like that tree in the garden, when, when, when God said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God was really giving Adam and Eve an opportunity, wasn't he? To abide by his limits and in abiding by those limits to honor him. Literally, really to worship him by abiding by his limits. And that's what Paul the Apostle is is saying with the gift of sex. He's saying it's a beautiful blessing, but God has set limits on it to focus it. And to focus it so it can be an even greater blessing that you could ever possibly imagine. And all those things that we just heard about, the closeness and the oneness and the companionship and the children and the health and the confidence, all those things can literally pour down on your head. But when you're willing to be funneled by those limitations that God has laid down, and that's why he says in this passage, flee from sexual immorality. Circle that word immorality. Because that's the key word here. So often in the church, we've been painted as being said, flee from sex. In fact, there's a joke out there. You know, that there are really three sexes. There's males, there's females, and there's pastors. 
because pastors seem to have this otherworldly weird idea about sex and, and because I think we as pastors sometimes give off this vibe that it doesn't exist. It's not meant to be a blessing and we just don't want to talk about it. Paul doesn't say flee from sex. He says flee from sexual immorality. Paul wants you to tap into the good blessings of sex. In fact, if you read 1 Corinthians 7, which is the chapter right after this, go ahead and go home and read that. There's a portion in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that says, if you are a husband or if you're a wife, stop withholding your body from your spouse. Have sex, he says. Because otherwise... How are you going to help one another to enjoy those godly blessings and avoid sexual immorality? And he says it again in verse 18, flee from sexual immorality. Now, I said before something that might have struck you a little bit weird. That sex and our sex lives could be a form of worship. Now, I'm not... I want to really define that because I know there are a lot of new people here. I'm not talking about going into your bedroom before you engage in a sexual relationship and lighting candles and having some sort of shrine in there. Okay? That's not what I mean. What I mean is what Paul means when he says at the very end, therefore honor God with your body. You see, the Bible has a narrow definition of what worship is, and it has a very broad and wide definition of what worship is, okay? The narrow definition of worship is like in the Old Testament when people came into the temple, all right? And they came up to the temple singing and praising. It's like when we come to church today, we're worshiping right now. That's the narrow definition. But there's a very broad definition that is simply this. Everything you do in life, when it honors God, you're worshiping, right? The Bible says, for example, for whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the, anybody know how that ends? To the glory of God. That's worship. And so I'm not talking about some weird ritualistic thing here. I'm talking about honoring God in all your ways, in all your paths, wherever they might lead you, including into the bedroom. Honor God, as Paul says here, with your body. Recognizing, do you notice what he says? What's your body in the sight of God? It's a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know you've probably heard guys like Arnold Schwarzenegger go, my body is a temple. Right? Little did he know he was being very biblical. Our bodies are meant to be buildings in which the Holy Spirit lives. And wherever we take our body, then we're taking the Holy Spirit with us. So, once again, how can we disconnect God from anything? Because as Christ followers, wherever our bodies are, the Holy Spirit's there. He's in this temple, and he wants to be honored. And therefore, we honor God. We worship him with the things that we do also in our bedroom. 
Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? And then look at this. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. What a beautiful set of words. Because doesn't that lead us right back to Jesus? You know, when I, when I look at the places my body has gone, including my eyes and my ears, my feet, my hands. I would wager when you think about some of the places where your body has been sexually, you may be going, oh my goodness, how wonderful it is that Jesus paid a price for me. And I hope you are. Because we all need that forgiveness. Today's world, when it comes to sex, is about as far away from worshiping God as you can get. Some of you sitting in this room, I'd wager a guess, have been hurt by someone using sex as a weapon. How horrible. And I hope this fact that Jesus has, has bought you with the price can bring healing to your heart and to your mind. That anyone would ever think of using this beautiful gift of sex as a weapon against you and hurt you, body, heart, and soul. Find healing in those words. God wants to heal your heart. You were bought at a price. I'd wager a guess that there are some people in this room who may be struggling with guilt and shame because they're looking at their own lives and they're, they're saying, I was the perpetrator. Intentionally or unintentionally, I hurt someone. And you may be struggling right now going, wow, can God ever forgive me for that? And, and you, you, you play back over in your mind the hurt that you caused that person. You, too, were bought at a price. The price of that cross. Jesus' blood. Jesus' death. And I want you to walk out of this room today knowing that he can cleanse you of any sin. And he has. So that's why this passage is so important to us. God wants us to make our sex life a true work of, of worship to honor him with our bodies. And the, and the reason we do that is what we were just talking about. Notice how Paul links these two together. So clear. Because I was bought at a price, because of the love God had for me in sending his son, now I want to worship him with my body. Beautiful gospel motivation. All right, last point that I want to make today is this simple point. Let's go back to this passage, Proverbs 5. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. You can see the limits God is setting there, and he's saying, follow these limits 
Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? This is addressed mainly to us guys, by the way. Don't just be having sex whenever, wherever you want, with whomever you want, is what this is saying in short. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. Men, what God is calling us to is to be a one-woman man. A one-woman man. And women, same thing. God is calling you to be a one-man woman for life. Never to be shared with strangers, he so clearly says. And then notice what he goes on. May your fountain be blessed. And may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a committed, long-term relationship that means that the wife of your youth is still satisfying to you and still makes you happy and joyful. A loving doe, a graceful deer. I love how he just goes straight to the point. He's not afraid to talk about body parts. May her breasts satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Literally, that word captivated means captured. That that her love holds your attention fully. May you be captivated by her love. You see what he's really saying here is that a sex life between a committed husband and wife is the most beautiful thing in the world. And all those blessings that we've talked about, they can all be ours when we're willing to to let God guide us with his guidance. I want to take you to another passage because I want you to be fully convinced as you walk out of here today that God wants you to enjoy your sex life. This is from the book Song of Songs. If you ever have any doubts in your mind, about does God really want me to to be sort of unleashed? You know, part of the problem, I really think, even in the Christian world, is we feel kind of all bound up by this sex thing. Like, in the back of our minds, we're cheating God somehow if we're having sex. In Africa, for example, they were convinced that when, when Eve ate from the fruit that that was a metaphor for Adam and Eve having sex. Not true. There was a real tree in the Garden of Eden, and it was real fruit. But they had it in their mind that this is all connected with sex. And I think somewhere lurking in the back of all of our minds is that sex is just kind of a little bit of a dirty thing. And if there's one more thing I want you to go out of this room with today is to let God free you from that and see how God himself enjoys the beauty of the sex that he has created. Take a look at Song of Songs. Now remember, this this is the Holy Spirit speaking. And he's speaking through Solomon. And Solomon is talking. He's talking about a girl that he's seen. King Solomon has obviously seen some beautiful woman. And he says... You have captured my heart. And and, and then we can go on and we see it's not just some woman. This is a woman that he is married to. My treasure, my bride. 
You hold it, my heart, hostage with one glance of your eyes, with a single jewel of your necklace. Your love delights me, my treasure, my bride. Your love is better than wine. Your perfume more fragrant than spices. Your lips are as sweet as nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue. Your clothes are scented like the cedars of Lebanon. You are my private garden, my treasure, my bride, a secluded spring, a hidden fountain. Are those not gorgeous, poetic words in praise of a sex life? And that's what they are. Read the book, Song of Solomon, for yourself. You see, God wants us to fully experience the joys of this blessing. And I want to uh, to bring a quote to you from a man named Ed Wheat. And he wrote a very famous Christian book. Some of you may not even be aware that there are actually Christian sex technique manuals. Did you know that? I know, that seems like, really? Okay, well, this guy, Ed Wheat, wrote one, okay? And here's what he says. Knowing and understanding what God says about any phase of life leads to wholeness in that area. Nowhere is this more necessary than in the sexual realm where negative attitudes have virtually destroyed marriage relationships. I think of the man who was deeply disturbed when God and sex were mentioned in the same discussion. To him, sex was altogether separate from his Christian life. The sexual relationship was an unholy activity in his opinion, and yet he continued it with deep guilt feelings, which tarnished the experience for both him and his wife. His misconception of God's view of sex resulted in a hurried physical act without any tenderness or pleasure. Then I think of the woman that had been married 25 years and is still not sure what an orgasm is or whether she has ever experienced one or the husband and wife whose egos have been so wounded in the bedroom that they can barely speak to one another or the earnest Christian couple who have no serious problems but little joy in their sexual relationship and many other people whose marriages are filled with misery in this area rather than pleasure. And maybe that speaks to some of your hearts. Maybe that speaks to some of your relationships. This is the last thing that he says. God has so much to say about all of this in the Bible. As a Christian physician, which is what Ed Wheat is, It is my privilege to communicate an important message to unhappy couples with wrong attitudes and faulty approaches to sex. And the message in brief is this. You have God's permission to enjoy sex. Enjoy it in marriage. He invented sex. He thought it up to begin with. And you can learn to enjoy it. And husbands you can develop a thrilling, happy marriage with the wife of your youth. That's from an expert. Am I sweating? 
feels like the money message, only worse. You know, here's the thing. God loves you. And so often I think we get this idea in our mind that God has um, set things up to kind of trip us in life. And I hope as you, as you go out of the church today, when it comes to the whole idea of your sex life and the blessing of sex life, that, that you can go out without this thought that God did not set this all up to trip you up, make you feel guilty all the time, make you feel dirty all the time. God set this up originally to be a huge blessing and enjoyment, a pleasure to you. And God wants the same thing in this area of life that he wants in all areas of life. Look at Jeremiah 17, 7. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. Trust that God can bring blessings into your life also in this area. And that's my third point. God wants you to experience both delight and blessing in your sex life. Take a look at those next steps in the crosswalk. Evaluate your sex life in light of God's word. What do you need to change to honor God with your body? Two, recall that Jesus has paid the price to cover all your sins, including your sexual sins. Recall also, and I didn't put this down, that Jesus has paid the price to heal all your hurts. And if you have been hurt in this area, and I know many people have, I pray that you will experience his healing. Finally, meditate on and memorize 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Remember, our sex life too is a way that we can honor God with our bodies. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for leading us into your word today. Lord, may we be both confronted and comforted by your message about sex. We live in a world, Lord, and you know this better than any of us, that has disconnected sexuality from you. Lord, help us in our hearts to reconnect it. And to realize that you intended to be a blessing for us. And Lord, help us to have willing hearts, repentant hearts. Hearts that are open to the idea of being guided by your word in our sexuality. So that we can fully experience your blessing. Finally, Lord, help us to rid our minds of, of, of any old ideas that we might have that you intended sex to be something to trip us up and torture us and, and give us dirty thoughts in our mind. Help us to see that you want us to enjoy it within the bonds of marriage, with the wives of our youth and the husbands of our youth, in a committed, long-term married relationship. Help us to see that and help us to be that, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.